0: I am uh, predisposed to be very academic about this work. I do believe it is an art form. I believe that as an art form it is connected to a traceable, describable pedigree of behavior that goes back hundreds of years and is studyable and that you can learn from, that it is a classical art.
1: Welcome to the Beers and Ears podcast. Here are your hosts, Casey Woolley and Matthew Brown. Hello, everyone,
2: and welcome to the Beers and Ears podcast. My name is Matt. And my name is Casey, and we are talking about all of the different versions of the Christmas carol today. Oh, we are? Yeah, wasn't that on the agenda? I thought that's what we were talking about. Oh, I wait. thought we were talking about Joe Rody You know what? Darn it. You're right. Last minute change. I'm <laughs> joking, guys. I knew this. I'm the one who texted this to Matt to begin with. We <laughs> I was were like, supposed to gonna... <laughs> we... <I'm> wildly <laughs> unprepared. <laughs> we were supposed to be talking about the different versions of the Christmas Carol that Disney has put out over the years. And that was on the agenda until, uh, I don't know, two days ago. And then Matt, I text you something. What did I say?
1: Hey, uh, I don't have time to watch 50 versions of a Christmas Carol.
2: <laughs> Pretty much. yep. And of course, in the news today is, uh, November 25th and like three days ago, uh, Legendary Imagineer Joe Rohde announced his retirement. And I told Matt, I said, this is a perfect opportunity for us to talk about kind of the impact that he's had on the Disney company. Now, don't get me wrong. We're going to get back to Christmas stuff in future episodes. Trust me, we got a bunch of them coming. But this is kind of timely. This is a big deal. Joe, I mean, there are very few people in Disney history who rise to that level of of where Joe Rody is at. Usually they become Disney legends, right? They usually become folks who get a, a window on Main Street. I thought it was appropriate we have a conversation about that. What do you think, Matt?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um just to give you a rundown, if you have no idea who this guy is or what he's done. You're like, "Well, what's so what's the big deal about this guy?" So, he was the lead designer on Disney's Animal Kingdom. So, yep. one of the parks at Disney, one of the four parks Pretty much, I don't want to say it was totally designed by Joe Rohde because I think that undercuts all, like it was a team effort, but he was lead designer.
0: One of the core ideas of Disney's Animal Kingdom is this notion of the intrinsic value of nature, the idea that nature is a value that can't be substituted, it can't be altered. The value of nature is supreme. We see that all over the park in the dominance of landscape over architecture and the dominance of natural forces over uh, the built uh, human world. A second uh, idea that lies underneath Animal Kingdom is this notion of transformation through adventure. The idea that adventure is not only physical, but developmental. If you go somewhere you've never been, if you see something you've never seen, do something you've never done, you're a different person at the other end.
1: He was also lead designer on Aulani in um, Hawaii. So that's a big Disney property out in Hawaii. That's a one of the Disney Vacation Club uh, properties and a resort and other things like that. Um, he Expedition Everest was one of his big things. Um, Pandora, the world of Avatar. Um, you know, he spent six years doing that. But I honestly think one of his one of his biggest accomplishments was turning tower of terror into gardens of the galaxy mission breakout and for this reason tower of terror is a beloved ride Mm. and when it was announced that it was getting this gardens of the galaxy facelift a lot of people were skeptical and like i don't know if i'm gonna like it well what ended up happening is everyone loves it i have not heard anybody say anything bad about it so i think that's a testament to how well he crafts Rides and stories and other things like that that you can take this beloved attraction, change it, and people love it even more.
0: So, so rather quickly we got to this thing of uh, the inside value, the zaniness, the 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 action, the speed, the lightness of Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a very human, very approachable, a group of heroes, and those are real assets, right? They're funny, they're approachable they're irreverent. And if you're going to come in strong with a new idea, irreverence is a good place to start because you're going to be irreverent to begin with.
2: Yeah. So a little bit more. So you you hit some of the highlights of him, some of the stuff he's really known for. So I, I want to actually dig a little bit deeper for a couple of minutes just into who he is and why he actually has touched attractions and or venues or parks or lands in multiple parks around the globe not just some of the ones that she laid out he's got some other credit to his name as well so again alani the, alani is his i mean if you ever go to alani in hawaii that was his design he was the lead designer in that he was the lead designer for disney's animal kingdom he was the lead designer uh, for uh, pa- Pandora, the world of Avatar, which so he came back to the park that he designed and designed Pandora, which at the time and to this day is still considered one of the most immersive experiences in theme park attractions across the world. But here's some of the stuff that you don't know. He's also responsible for some smaller known stuff. For example, uh, he designed the uh, he helped was one of the designers in um, the Captain EO ride. He is responsible for the Norway Pavilion. He's responsible as a painter for the Mexico Pavilion. Did you know that he's the voice of Alexander Graham Bell in the American Adventure? Oh, he I didn't also, know that. Yeah, he also portrays Dreamfinder in Dreamfinder's School of Drama films. And here's a big one for you, Matt. You did an entire episode on this with uh, Disney Springs or back when it was called Downtown Disney. He helped design the Adventurers Club.
1: Yes. Adventurers Club is amazing. I'm, I'm the, I unfortunately never got to experience it, but all the like <laughs> videos that I see of it,
2: it's, it's so cool. Yeah, and so he's also, one other thing, he also had a hand in the new Fantasyland expansion at the Magic Kingdom. So when you look at just Walt Disney World Resort alone, he has a huge legacy in Animal Kingdom. That's probably his biggest legacy. He's got somewhat of a legacy in Epcot, uh, both you know stuff that's still there and stuff that's not there anymore. He's got a legacy in Magic Kingdom. I would say the only park that he didn't touch at at Walt Disney World was uh, uh Hollywood Studios. But he touched Tower of Terror in Disney, or I'm sorry, uh, isn't in Disney? I think it's a um, uh, California Adventure, and he turned it into, like you said, the Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. He also was the model for Harrison High Tower the at the Tower of Terror Tokyo Disney Sea as well. Now,
1: do you, do you understand? I I have to pause here because this is, I have to go down this rabbit hole. Do you you understand the significance of like Harrison Hightower?
2: I don't, I just, I'm reading through a list. So please tell us.
1: Okay. So, um, we, we don't have time to get into this. Maybe we'll do a podcast on it. Maybe not. But, uh, it, it, if you want to go on a really fun Disney internet binge, you're going to want to look up the Society of Adventures of Ex- Explorers and Adventures. That is C S E A. So not to be confused with Tokyo Disney Sea, but uh, um, C the Society of Adventures and Explorers. Um, it is this secret society that they have woven into all of the parks, and so uh, Meriwether Pleasure from Pleasure Island was uh, part of this. And then they have since made other characters, Harrison Hightower being one of them. Um, another one is Barnabas T. Boolean. He is the owner of the train company at uh, the, the Big Thunder Mountain Train Company. And there's some uh, ones with Mystic Manor. He, the guy who owns Mystic Manor, is a part of it. It's it's this like secret society that they've woven into the parks. It's not from a movie. It's not from anything. But they've made this like secret society that it's really, really, it's a really fun internet binge. I totally recommend getting into it. It's some fascinating stuff. So when I read, <laughs> I, I, we had to talk about it. I was like, oh, we're, we're talking about Harrison Hightower and Disney Sea, Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Look it up.
2: It's fun. That's funny. Well, I think, I think the deal here is this. When you look at the work that he's done, most of the work he's done has that central theming of adventure of excitement of i'm going to go out and and immerse myself in a new culture a new land a new way of doing things i mean just his work on expedition everest alone um i've seen a couple different documentaries on expedition everest and and how it's made and you know i know now you know it's been around for 20 years or maybe it's 15 years. I think it was 2006. So 14, 15 years at this point. Now it's one of those rides, you fast pass that you move through the queue or you single ride line it. But yeah. if you've ever actually taken the time to go through the queue, that in a lot of ways, the expedition Everest ride was one of the, one of the first rides of like the 21st century where imagineers said, you know What? The queue is just as important as what's going on on the ride, even if it's just a roller coaster. The roller coaster tells a story, but we want to make the queue kind of the buildup. We want to create this mythical lore of, of the Yeti, of what's going on. And so Joe Rohde, he traveled. To Asia, I mean, he traveled to where the lore of the Yeti is based out of, and he he met with the locals. They brought back props, they brought back uh, uh, souvenirs, really. They brought back stuff that they could then recreate for a theme park atmosphere to go into this queue. And if you've ever actually gone through the queue there's newspaper clippings there's old tools there's books there's things that truly tell the story of what you're about to experience when you go on expedition everest that's what disney imagineering is all about is telling a story and joe rody he embraces that he he embodies what imagineering is all about i mean he learned from some of the best that had been around since when Walt was around right i mean joe rody is not an original he worked with walt guy i mean he joined walt disney imagineering much later after walt had died but he learned from people who did work with walt in a lot of ways joe rody is kind of a second generation imagineer one of the first to retire that that's a big deal you know when you think about the first generation who retired now we're into the second generation that's a, that's a pretty big deal.
0: You know, one thing we just naturally do at Imagineering is everything we do is based on story. We build our entire work process around story. And that's not just kind of a clever thing that you say. Human beings, all human beings, are wired for story. It is one of the things that makes us human. It's what our brains do. So when you organize, around story, both organizationally and in terms of the product that you're producing. It's this incredible lubricant towards getting things done, because the human brain itself is already a story machine, so it's a very easy way to put together information to get humans to understand it, both getting it done and when it's done, what it is.
1: Yeah, and I will say all of his stuff feels very grounded. You like you talked about how he went and did all this research, and I mean Aulani is this is the same way. And I mean if you think about a lot of the stuff that he touched, very little is based on IP mm-hmm. or intellectual property. I mean, yes, you've got Pandora, um, yes, you've got Guardians of the Galaxy, but Animal Kingdom, the essence of it is not intellectual property yes there are disney animals that are you know there's there's stage shows or characters or other things like that but the essence of the park is not hey it's we got the lion king land and we have a aristocats land i don't think anyone wants that but hey you could do it um it, it, it's it's very this this grounded feel but yet it still has that twinge of magic to it that has that Disney magic infused into it. And I think that's a really great combination that he really, really mastered.
2: You know, I also say this too, Matt, that, and this is one of the reasons why I will continue in this push to get you to watch the Imagineering story, because there's a whole section on the building of a man, Animal Kingdom, and Joe rody is talks in that, but they didn't get to fully realize what they wanted for Animal Kingdom when they built it. I mean, there was a whole section of the park, Beastly Kingdom, that they had imagined. I can't remember if it's in the imaginary story, or if it's another, another documentary I watched, but they imagined they had, they had rides ready to, they had rides, imagined prototypes and schematics and everything models built for what beastly kingdom was meant to look like. And then of course the money crunch came and Eisner said, schmeiss it. And it became camp mini Mickey and, and one of the reasons why they brought Rhodey back when they announced the, the world of Pandora was it gave him a chance to resurrect some of that idea, maybe not necessarily in the way he thought it was going to happen, but some of the idea of what beastly kingdom could look like, and I think that is a huge deal when it comes to his legacy because, like you said, that is his park. I mean, I know you said you, you, you it does discredit for everybody else who worked on it, and I give credit where credits due, But that is his park. That is the Joe Rody Park. That is the that is the fruit of his labor of what he will forever be remembered for. Um, I want to go back to Expedition Everest for a second because there is one element of Expedition Everest that it looks like, at least under Joe Rohde's watch, will never get fixed, and that is the Yeti in Expedition Everest.
1: Now, so I, this, this, the Yeti to me is very, very fascinating, and and very, um, you know, Disney, Disney fandom is calling for the fixing of that. Um, I, I have to ask this: Have you were did you ride this when it was working? I okay. I was there. Very we took a band trip soon after I believe it opened. And so really? I, I rode this very soon. Like I went through the whole queue. I remember waiting a long time for this ride. Um because that was where I mean Pandora wasn't open. So really Animal Kingdom did not have a lot of e-ticket attractions. This was kind of a big one. And so um I rode this very early on and yeah, that that Yeti took a swipe at you and it was terrifying and
2: awesome. <laughs> Yeah. So for those of you who don't understand what we're talking about, so in the expedition Everest ride, the, the yeti, which is basically when you come face to face, it happens um, after you get to the point where you see the the broken the broken track. You slide backwards and, and you you literally come backwards and then you stop. You you lock into place and then you have a projection of the yeti um, tearing whatever, doing some more stuff. But then you go forward and. Right towards the end, after you go through all the craziness, you come to the Yeti's cavern and the Yeti in there, it's a giant animatronic. When it was originally built, just like uh, you said, this thing took a swipe at you. I just pulled it up. It looks like um, it, it broke roughly around 2008 eight is what it's saying so and i think i think expedition Everest debuted in 2006 but again back in the day people weren't using their phones to film some of this stuff or whatever and i think there might be some video out there but more people have rode the ride without the working yeti than have rode the ride with the working yeti and basically what happened is the concrete block that appears underneath the yeti that is underneath the yeti It cracked. And so the foundation, they were worried, would become unstable if they continued to operate it with the sweeping arm. And so what they did in order to create the illusion of motion is they added some strobe lights up there. And so as you drive, as you fly by it, it flashes really quick. The Yeti makes some noises. But no, the Yeti does not move. So you're in a very lucky position, Matt, to be one of the ones who actually had a chance to experience that.
1: It's one of my like Disney brags. Like when I'm talking to theme park people, I'm like, I would, I rode the Yeti when the Yeti took a swipe at me. And, and that's, I don't like to brag about a lot of things. And that's a really weird brag to have, but that's, that's like my one thing I'm hanging my hat on. And I've also read that where it is. I mean, again, this is, this is exhibition Everest. So Everest is a mountain Mm -hmm. and it has to be big. It is a big structure. So, it's not like, you know, something like um, the Shaman of Songs and Navi River Journey. What they did is they apparently learned the lesson with the Yeti where that thing literally just like backs out of its place mm-hmm. and then they can, you know, do work on it and repair it or whatever. Well, this yep. Yeti is 100 and some odd feet up in the air. It's not just as simple as like, oh, do to do to do, do. We'll just you know go up there with our tools and and fix it. Like it's hard to get to. So that's the other problem that they have in fixing it is it's not an easy. It's a big animatronic and it's in an awkward position and so it, it's it's hard to to uh 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 it's it's hard to get at. So I mean, they they've done the best they can do. Um, it's still
2: very terrifying. It, it's well, it's a wonderful ride. ride. It, the ride is an amazing ride. I mean, even had I never heard the story of a yeti that did something else other than what it does i would have never have known that's not what they intended it to do but you're right it 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 does it will take them they would have to close down expedition everest for an extended amount of time they would have to pull apart all of that theming all the mountain theming just to get into it to pull the thing out for a chance that it may or may not even work, and yeah. and there there's a reason why they just you know what it is it is what it is it's a good story to tell it's it's lore and you know they've left it at is as is and you're right Disney Imagineering this is one of the great things about Imagineering this is why Joe Rohde and and everyone who who works. Uh, At at Disney Imagineering, they they learned their lesson not only with the shaman, but and I know I know you have not been on uh, Rise of the Resistance, but this is no secret. You know you come into contact with Kylo Ren at multiple points during the ride. There's a point where you come into contact with the full animatronic of him, and he's saying something to you. And there's a point where something happens to him. Well, they've got a version A of him and they've got a version B. The version A is the full animatronic where you see it and the thing happens. The version B version of him is he's covered up completely and you get a video screen of him in an X wing instead or uh, a TIE fighter and a a TIE fighter uh, instead. And so they learned their lesson that if one of the animatronics goes down, they can switch to version B immediately to avoid the embarrassment of not being able to have it. Right. Well, and, um, and
1: all yeah. animatronics have an A and a B mode from what I gather in the not theme park community. Not all of
2: them do. No, no, no. Not all of them do. No, no. Only the newer ones do.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely the older ones um, you're, you're talking not so much, but yeah, a lot of newer ones, they do like an A and B where depending on what's happening, they can put it on B mode and and that it still operates, but um, just not quite at 100% capacity.
2: Have you, have you seen the video of the Splash Mountain ride riding through it when there's no music and the animatronics are like like shaking like they've got seizures going?
1: Yeah, it, like any, I again guilty pleasure animatronics gone wrong, like <laughs> that kind of stuff is very very funny to me. Like even even not just Disney parks, like a Chuck E. Cheese thing going haywire is hilarious to me. Um, it, yeah, like somewhere even just like the animatronics just aren't moving or they're they're like one of them is shaking. It, it's honestly creepier than actual animatronics.
2: Sometimes there's a, there's a new, there's a new video out there of people going through. It's a small world with no music. It's just the dolls moving. Oh, that's terrifying. That is the stuff of nightmares right there. I'm sorry. That just creeps me out. It's no secret that almost every Disney attraction ends in a gift shop. There's no better way to remember an experience than to take a souvenir home with you. Matt, do you have a favorite souvenir that you've taken home from the Disney parks? Yeah,
1: I've got one from Expedition Everest. That's one of my favorite rides.
2: Why not remember this podcast with a souvenir from Riss and Cal? You know, they've got cell phone accessories that range from ear pods at a fraction of the cost of the ones from the fruit to a special supercharged bundle that includes a wall charger, car charger and four charging cables for just 35 bucks. And I bet that's cheaper than what you paid for that Expedition Everest Yeti, if I'm not mistaken, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Brisson Cal has everything you need to keep you moving at high tech speeds and when you're in the parks too. So if you use the coupon code BEERS, B-E-E-R-S, at checkout, you'll get an additional 15% off your purchase. And if you spend over $50, Riss and Cal will even ship you a free booth Bluetooth Beers and Ears keychain speaker as a special gift for you. Head on over to www4 That's the number 4 dot com slash shop and use coupon code e- uh, beers. Take home a souvenir from today's episode. But hurry, this deal is only good until December 31st. 2020. And supplies are limited. Okay. This is not an animatronic episode. Getting back to Joe Rody, I think we've done a pretty good job at kind of covering the legacy of who he is. The one thing I do want to point out too, is that beyond the fact that Joe Rody was just an amazing imagineer and a creative genius, he was also a really down to earth guy. He Adored his fans and he would oftentimes be in the parks, be at Alani, and he was one of the most recognizable Imagineers because of the earring that he wore fun little story I've got to tell. So back in the day, Disney used to produce on the Discovery Channel 30 minute or hour long videos and consultation with the discovery channel about what you could do in a Disney park. I mean, I'm dating myself. These go back to the early two thousands, probably around the time that expedition Everest actually came out. Um, they used to be on the discovery channel. In fact, they made DVDs. I own a set of the DVDs somewhere. I remember this was pre me ever going to the Walt Disney World Resort. So this was pre 2010, I think. And I had I got this DVD set for Christmas and I I plugged it in and I played it. And one of my first experiences um, learning about the Walt Disney World Resort and what they offered was Joe Rohde. He was being interviewed about Animal Kingdom. And I remember looking at this guy going, man, that guy's got some like a crazy earring going on. And I, and I had no do, no clue who this guy was. I had no clue who this guy was. But as I have become part of the Disney family and the Disney, you know, understanding the Disneyana of everything, I, you know, of course, I've come to know who Joe Rohde is. But that just speaks to who he is, that you can see someone 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and then throughout – throughout your time becoming a Disney fan, you're able to go back and recognize that this man over here, he's a down-to-earth, good-hearted man. And I've met two or three or four imagineers in my life. They're not all like that. Some of them can be downright mean and rude. Um he's not one of them. He's a very polite guy from everything I've ever heard about him.
1: Well and that's since his announced his retirement three days ago, there's been a lot of personal messages and articles and other things written about people who have had contact with him. And what you said is exactly right. Like uh, uh, helping out with alumni stuff when he doesn't need to do that. Um, agreeing to do interviews for, for people that are not big name reporters or small time people. Um, it, and he just, he, he understood uh, the value of people, which I, I think is something that when you become a, I mean, for lack of better terms, a big shot in the Disney company, you have a, a park that you were lead designer on for crying out loud. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's easy. I think it, it would be very easy to become these people are below me. I I've got my stuff. Nobody talked to me. And he, he was the exact opposite. It was almost, okay, I've got this big stuff. I'm, I'm Mr. Big shot. Now I'm now going to spread that that wealth to and of knowledge to anyone that asks for it.
2: I would argue that 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 he is actually probably one of the first, even though he wasn't one of the first Imagineers. He's probably one of the first Imagineers that brought Imagineering into pop culture. Yeah, I I, I think that he's probably one of the reasons why people know what an Imagineer is, unless you're really follow Disney fandom in the past. You maybe didn't know what that term was, but people know the guy with the earring and because he's, he's, he's you know, because of who he is and because of the way he treats people. So, you know, Joe roadie, I never had a chance to meet him myself, but I'll tell you, he will forever have a lasting impact on Disney parks. And, you know, if he's not already, and I'm actually going to look this up right now, is Joe roadie, a Disney legend. I don't think he is. Um, no, it does not look like he's a Disney legend yet. But I'm, I'm. If I were a betting man, he will probably wind up with a window on Main Street. Uh, if not this coming session, probably because uh, I think the D23 uh, is next year in summer. As long as everything goes okay with COVID, I, I would be shocked if they don't make him a Disney legend at the next D23. I would be shocked.
1: Oh, I, I, I don't see how you don't <laughs> like, like what, what's, what's the argument against making him a Disney legend? Like, huh? Do, does he have the resume? I, you know, <laughs> there's a lot in that pro section, but like, I, I don't know what the con is. What's the, don't put him in there.
2: So Matt, I gotta say, as we start to close up, he's retiring. There's an opening, there's an opening in imaginary now.
1: I I should I mean I'm still looking for work, so I guess I gotta send him a resume. And the resume
2: uh, <laughs> over. I can act as your reference, buddy, podcast partner. There it is. So um anyway, uh it is closing time. Matt, do you have anything else you want to add before we close out the show?
1: Uh I thought I had a thought. And um
2: hang on one second. Technically, if you thought you had a thought, you did have a thought, you think? I I, I did. <laughs> um do 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 do. I, I don't think I do. Okay do, then. Do. No,
1: I think I'm good, Casey. Um, I think we can uh, close out the show here.
2: You know, we're leaving that whole segment in just just so you. Know. So, <laughs> they're gonna know that you completely faked that last part. I'm just saying. I mean, we got to get to thirty minutes here. I'm just this, just throwing it this out. This is there. why so, we edit. This is the point of editing, <laughs> so we can do stuff like this. It, it is about time for me to put together a blooper reel. So. Uh, all right yes it is closing time matt how can our friends and fans and listeners um get social with us
1: you can uh, join us on our facebook group beers and ears podcast twitter and instagram at beers ears 1928 uh join up on there give us a follow retweet our stuff we really appreciate it um as always please rate and review us five stars five stars we got that uh uh promotion going on for the bluetooth speaker if you write a review share our, our posts um put it on your story retweet wh- however you want to get i don't care if you take a video of you uh shouting from your porch i listen to the beers and ears podcast and i love it and you should too um uh, we 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 really want to uh get the word out and so if you uh do any of that stuff um we'll put you in a drawing for one of those uh, bluetooth speakers um, so that's a really fun promotion we have going on end of the through the end of the year, correct?
2: It is through December thirty first, absolutely.
1: All right. Well, I think that about closes us out. So, Casey, let's raise a glass to this episode and to uh, Joe Roddy, uh, probably a future Disney legend.
2: And yeah, uh, we try to, uh, try to get him as an interview on the podcast one of these days. Maybe he'll do it. I don't know. I don't so. know. We'll
1: see. We'll uh, stay tuned,
2: everybody. Let's raise our glasses. This episode has been on us. Have a great night. We'll see you again
0: real soon. Bye, everybody. Okay, little speech. When we look out at the problems that surround us in the world, and in particular, say, the problems of the natural world, how we're going to live on this planet and be human beings without consuming the whole thing and turning it into a gigantic Mordor, it can seem really daunting, really hard. You know, you think, I have no power, I have no influence, I have no capacity, there's nothing I can do. This is an illusion, this is not true. Simply by existing in the world, uh, we are conduits of material, we are conduits of energy, and those of us who live in the developed world, we're conduits of a lot of energy and a lot of material. And so little incremental choices that we make have huge rollout impact. The big difference is whether you choose to abandon this influence and simply become a vehicle through which the decisions of others are moving, or whether you yourself make decisions and therefore become a point of change. The biggest difference is the difference between zero and anything you do. The difference between zero and anything is far greater than the difference between anything and the next thing you do. So my hope is to encourage people to do anything, anything at all.